Jeremiah chapter 41, Sunday night through the Bible, and we come now to Jeremiah. If you're with us this evening without a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles, and just wave to them, and they'll put one in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, make that one a gift from us to you this evening. As we come to Jeremiah chapter 42, we remember that uh, Jerusalem has been sacked and defeated by uh, Babylon under the headship of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Gedaliah, a, a Jewish man, was left as the governor uh, of a remnant of poor Jews that were left there in uh, Jerusalem and in uh, Judea. He was assassinated by a gentleman by the name of Ishmael, an awful, awful human being. And what he did, Ishmael uh, assassinated Gedaliah and then took the remnant that had been left in Jerusalem and in that area of Judah and then began to march them off uh, by force to uh, the country of Ammon, which was a neighboring country, uh, in order to take them to the the land of the king that had ordered the assassination of, of Gedaliah. As they're making their way toward uh, Ammon, uh, Johanan uh, steps in, a good man, a man of war with the other men of war, and uh, they rescue the hostages, and, and then now they're tempted to flee uh, to Egypt. And what's going on in their mind is, great, Ishmael has taken and killed Gedaliah, who was left by Nebuchadnezzar personally to oversee the land, uh, Israel, uh, Judah and Israel now being uh, provinces of the Babylonian Empire, when he hears that we've done this, surely he's going to come back and he's going to kill all of us in the land. And there's a, you know, a legitimate concern that they have related to that. And so their temptation was, let's not go back into Judah where Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in and he's probably going to hammer us, but let's make our way off into Egypt and find refuge there. At this particular point in time in the whole development of the Babylonian Empire and the, the Middle East at that time, Judah and all, only Egypt, Egypt was the only country that was not a, a satellite a tributary uh, to Babylon. And so it was kind of the lone place of safety to run to in the Middle East uh, if you were trying to get away from Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. So this is the temptation they're facing and, and uh, why they're facing it. And so in the light of this, all of the captains, chapter 42, verse 1, all of the captains of the forces, uh, Johanan, the son of uh, Korea, uh, uh, Jezaniah, the son of Hoshaiah, and all of the people from the least to the greatest, they then came near. So this great group of, of people come together, uh, everyone all together, and they had a petition to make of Jeremiah, the prophet. And they said, please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant uh, since uh, we are left but a few of many, as you can see. I mean, there's, this is all that's left of what's the Jewish people within, within the land uh, for the most part. And we want you to petition the Lord, to pray to the Lord for this purpose, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing which we should uh, do. So they're being tempted now to, 
to flee to Egypt. They want to know whether the Lord wants them to do that or return back uh, to the land. As we're going to see in a moment, it's very dishonest on their part, but uh, they bring Jeremiah into this and say, listen, you're the prophet. You talk to God about this. What should we do from here? Now, this is a, up to this point, they're doing great. You know, when we're faced with what we don't know what to do. Do we go left? Do we go right? Do we go back to Judah? I mean, there's problems there. Going to Egypt, there's problems there. Would you pray for us that, uh, and, and seek the Lord so we could know um, what, what it is that we're supposed to do? They want God to make that decision, and that is a, a, a tremendous decision on their part at this moment. And then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, uh, I have heard, I've, I've listened to what you have to say, and indeed I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words. And it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you and I will keep nothing back from you. He says, I, I agree to do this as long as you're willing to accept any answer that God uh, brings to you through me. It's almost as if uh, Jeremiah has a sense that this isn't really an honest request that they're making, uh, has some suspicion in, in, in doubt in, in terms of their sincerity here, but he tells them, yes, I will do this, uh, but just be prepared. I will tell you whatever God tells me. And so they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be true, uh, a true and faithful witness between us. If we do not according, uh, do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you. And so if we don't listen to you, whatever, if we reject whatever you come back with, then let God judge us uh, for that. Whether it's pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. All we want is God's will. All we want to know is that we're in his will, whether it means going to Judah or whether it means uh, going to Egypt. And so uh, all of it is, uh, you know, it sounds very, very good uh, on, on the surface. This is all that they uh, cared about. The fact of the matter, though, is that their hearts were uh, very much set on fleeing Judah. They're currently in Judah and, and fleeing to uh, Egypt. That decision's already been made in their hearts, and now uh, basically they're approaching Jeremiah in the hopes that he will then, you know, seek the Lord and uh, the Lord will speak something that's a confirmation uh, to them. Yes, go to uh, Egypt. So they're willing to run the risk here. There's something that is instructive to us is that when we do seek the Lord and we ask Him for wisdom and direction uh, within our life, and then, Lord, we'll do whatever it is that you tell us uh, to do, uh, then uh, when He does, uh, if we don't get the answer that we want from God, and usually we have a preference in terms of which, uh, which of the two paths we might be uh, standing in front of, uh, that, that we need to be careful not to then do precisely what we wanted to do to begin with and disregard uh, the will of God. And so there has to be uh, a sincerity behind a request uh, for prayer for, uh, you know, for the, the will uh, of the Lord. Uh, and so this is the, how it's presented here. And so it happened after 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. It, it's, it's refreshing to me that it took 10 days before Jeremiah was clear from the Lord, the Lord making, uh, speaking to him in answer to this prayer, giving them uh, the wisdom that they, they needed. Uh, sometimes, you know, we'll pray for something for a day or for a week uh, 
or something like that. It seems like the end of the world to wait so long uh, for the answer. Here's Jeremiah, a prophet. It's like he's almost got a hotline to God, and yet God uh, makes him wait 10 days before he gives him the answer. Now, you look at something like that, and I mean, if you're curious at all, you might think, is, why in the world would God wait 10 days? What is it? Is there some numerology here or something? I don't know about well, One of the things that it would certainly do is it would build anticipation for the answer. You, know, you can imagine them coming every day. It's, it's going to be kind of like how many days till Christmas, uh, the kids coming up to you. And, uh, but uh, here, you know, did you hear anything today? Did you hear anything today? And no, 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 through the nine days and all the way to the tenth day. It is interesting, and, and it's helpful for me to realize, so I'll assume it's uh, helpful for some of you as well, that in the book of James chapter 1, the Bible gives us a wonderful promise concerning uh, giving us the will of God, where we approach Him with these kind of decisions. Do we go left? Do we go right? Do we take this promotion? Do we not take this promotion? Do we marry this person? Do we not marry this person? Uh, do we date this person? Do we not date this person? And so forth, all of these questions that we face in life. And the Lord promises that He will give us the wisdom that we need when we seek Him for that. One of the annoying things about the promise in James uh, uh, chapter 1, and it's a sanctified annoyance, is that uh, God does not tell us when He will give us the wisdom. He just says it's coming. And so don't waver, don't falter, and be tossed back and forth. It's coming. Know that. And now wait in faith for that answer uh, to come. I think that very often uh, the, one of the reasons God delays in letting us know His direction in terms of wisdom so often is if I ask Him something like, uh, like what we've got posed here, or Lord, do I go left, do I go right, do I take this promotion or not take this promotion, or uh, uh, so forth, that once the Lord gives me the knowledge of His will, I'm so type A in, in some respects that I'll assume that I'm supposed to do that right now. And, and so, but the Lord may want me to wait uh, a week or a year or six months before I, you know, make that decision and move out on it. And so, oftentimes the Lord will wait until the timing is perfect to then give us that wisdom, knowing that once He gives us the wisdom, uh, relatively few of us will probably ask Him then, well, what about the timing of this? So, He'll, he'll hold off until the timing is just right. And so the word of the Lord, an answer to this request came. And so Jeremiah called Johanan, the son of uh, Kariah, all of the captains of the forces who, uh, which were with him, and all the men, uh, people from the least even to the greatest. The whole crowd that had gathered together to make this request, they now come to hear the answer. And he said then to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition uh, be uh, before him. And so you remember what you called me to do, and, and here is the answer now uh, to your request. If you, still, uh, if you will still remain in this land, that is Judea, uh, then, or, or Judah rather, uh, then I will build you and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up, for I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you uh, in the judgment that came upon Jerusalem. God says, listen, I don't want you to go to Egypt. I want you to stay in Judah, and I'm going to do you good. I know you're facing some obstacles. You've got some fear uh, of man going on in your heart. 
but you, uh, you stay there. I'm done judging you uh, and done judging, ju- judging Judah. And uh, that was tough right there, uh, judging Judah. Uh, Judge Judy came to mind for a moment in all of it. So he said, I'm done judging Judah here, just about got it down. And, uh, but, so stay there in the land and uh, nothing to fear of. And don't be afraid of the king of Babylon. And, and God knows he knew all the motives behind it, the story, the fear that's in our heart. He knows what's behind any re- prayer request that we offer to him. Don't be afraid of the king of Judah, of whom you are afraid. Uh, do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you out of his hand. So the one thing that's driving you is afraid of uh, retaliation by Nebuchadnezzar. Don't worry about him. I'm going to take care of that. And so they're, they're operating under the fear of man. And the book of Proverbs says that the fear of man is a snare. Uh, almost always when we make a decision on the basis of the fear of man, in an absence of a word from the Lord, it's all, almost always a disaster, an awful decision. And so he warns them here and encourages them, stay in the land and I will show you mercy uh, that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. I'll deal with Nebuchadnezzar, you just obey me. But if you say, we will not dwell in this land, we're not staying in Judah, and disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of trumpets, trumpets calling uh, armies to battle, nor be hungry for bread, and there we will dwell. If this is what you're determined to do is to go to Egypt, and for these reasons, because you think you're going to find uh, peace and prosperity there, then now hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and go to dwell there, then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there you shall die. And so it shall be with all the men who set their faces to go uh, to Egypt to dwell there. They shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and fury has been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured out on you when you enter into Egypt, and you shall be, uh, and you shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach, and you shall uh, see this place uh, no more. And so this was the temptation uh, that they had. God knew that even the word that he had given to them, this was still a strong temptation. And so he rebukes them. He warns them. You go, what you're trying to escape by returning to Judah, that's exactly what you will find uh, in Egypt. So this strong warning that, uh, uh, that, that, that was uh, coming against the uh, 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 submission to God and to uh, obeying God uh, in their hearts. And so here, here you have Old Testament uh, typology. Egypt is a picture of the world. And uh, remember when uh, God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, there was the Passover lamb, and, and which represents salvation, and then the moving uh, toward the promised land, which is uh, to live the full Christian life as it's described in the New Testament. But uh, Egypt was the old life. It was a picture of the old life, the life in the flesh before uh, salvation. 
and so forth. And so uh, here, uh, running back, the temptation that there is to run back into the world, back into our old life when things get hard in the Christian life and in walking uh, with God. And uh, every time it gets hard as a Christian, that temptation uh, to run uh, back into the world, and it's a, a big mistake. God says there's going to be trouble there, and the world isn't to be a sanctuary for us every time we hit difficulty uh, as, as, as Christians. And then uh, the Lord uh, went on further and said, the Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. This is known as clarity. Uh, do not go to Egypt, exclamation point. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. I've made it as clear as a bell. For you were hypocrites in your heart when you sent me uh, to the Lord your God, saying, uh, pray for us to the Lord our God, and according to all the Lord your God says, so declare to us, and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God, nor anything which he has sent you by me. And so Jeremiah, by the Spirit of God, confronts them with their hypocrisy, and he says, listen, I know uh, you gave the appearance of being open to whatever God would say, but I know you were just kind of fishing for uh, uh, the right answer, that God would give you the answer that you wanted. And uh, you didn't get the answer that you wanted. Jeremiah knew these people. He knew how prone to rebellion they were related to that. And so he warns them here uh, against doing what they had determined to do, now even in the face of, of God's uh, warning not to do it. Uh, there, is a, there is a tendency that can happen sometimes. Every once in a while, you know, through the years, I've had somebody come in for counseling and, um, you know, I'll ask them a little bit about what's going on and what's the situation, and, and somehow they'll maybe let out a little bit that, you know, they've talked with somebody else and gotten counsel over here in town or maybe with uh, another pastor or whatever, and I probe a little bit and so forth. And, and then you find out that they've been to five churches and five pastors to talk about this particular uh, situation with or whatever, whatever it might be. And at that particular point, I just ask them, what they all tell you? Uh, I want to know what they don't like, uh, that they've heard everywhere else, and they're hoping that I'll say something different, and they can say, well, you know, Pastor Damien said, and so I'm going to go and do this. And there is that, uh, can be that tendency in the flesh to just keep on fishing until we find someone who will say uh, yes to us about what we want to do that we should not do. And, and so uh, this was the rebuke against that. Uh, that kind of thing. And so Jeremiah, he'd seen it, he knew them very, very well, and he rebukes him for it. And now, he, as he says, verse 22 once again, now therefore know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence in the place where it is that you desire uh, to go and uh, to, to dwell. So you want to you go to Egypt, uh, this is, it's going to be a disaster for you. But I, yet I know you're going to, to Egypt. Does this world seem a little crazy to you at the moment? Yeah, from I mean, one end of the globe to the other. I mean, pretty, pretty unstable place. And so there's always the desire that we have. All people have it. We have it as Christians as well. You know, what is the place of safety in the world in which we live? And it's a dangerous world. It's dangerous on a, on a street level. It can be dangerous on an apartment complex level. It can be dangerous on a city level or a state level or a nation level or world 
level. The single safest place for any uh, Christian is to be in the will of God, even when the will of God appears to be a less safe situation in the, current, um, in the current climate of current events. As they looked at things here, it just looked like the safest place in the world you could go to at this time was Egypt. And the worst place that you could do is to stay in Judah. And yet God knows history. He knows what's coming right around the corner. He knows, as we'll see in a moment, that Nebuchadnezzar has Egypt on his menu in not too long of a time, and he's going to come in and conquer uh, Egypt. And so now you've already been through the conquest, and you've already had to face the Babylonian military in Judah, and then God knows that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be headed for Egypt in a short period of time, and no, he doesn't want you there so that you can go through all of that again now in a foreign country. And so so he's the only one that knows, uh, you, you know, what the future is. And so he, and so when God tells us to do something, and he tells us to serve the Lord in this way, or to live here, or to do whatever he calls us to do, uh, the safest place, even if we die in that place, the safest place is to be in the center of his will. Chapter 43, and now it happened when Jeremiah had stopped speaking uh, to, uh, speaking to all of the people, all of the words of the Lord their God, for which the Uh, Lord their God had sent him to them all of these words, that Azariah, the son of uh, Hashaiah, Johanan, the son of Kariah, Kariah, and all of the proud men. Pride is always a bad scene. And, And so not only their pride toward Jeremiah, but their pride toward God, their attitude toward the Word of God. There's no fear. No fear of God at all in in these people at this point. And they spoke, saying to Jeremiah, you speak falsely. Put yourself in Jeremiah's shoes. Listen, I did you a favor. You asked me to go to God. I told you I would go to God and seek him for wisdom. I also told you that whatever he tells me, I'm going to tell you. And now he tells them the truth, and they call him a false prophet. Listen, you could call Jeremiah any name in the book that you wanted to call him, and he'd been called everything that he could be called in the 40 years. But the one thing nobody had the chutzpah to uh, declare to him at this point was that he was a false prophet. Everything that he had been saying for 40 years had come to pass. I mean, when you have a perfect track record as a prophet for 40 years, you don't expect someone to come and throw this in your face. And yet that's exactly what they do. You speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. You're lying to us in the name of the Lord. Uh, But this is what you're doing, Jeremiah. Baruch, who was Jeremiah's uh, secretary, he said, but Baruch, the son of Neriah, uh, has set you against us. He's behind this plot to deliver uh, us into the hands of the Chaldeans that they may put us to death or carry us away captive to Babylon. Now, Baruch has to be going to Jeremiah, listen, how did I get pulled into this thing here? 
I mean, I'm not even mentioned in the text, and now they're telling, you know, in the entire incident, and now they're blaming me for this so-called false prophecy that you've given. It's interesting that Jeremiah here, as the uh, narrative continues, he doesn't even uh, acknowledge the accusation. It's not even worthy of a response uh, on his part. He ignores it. They so desperately want to do what they want to do that they're willing uh, to see a conspiracy that doesn't exist and willing to call Jeremiah a false prophet to continue uh, on their uh, way. Oh, the, Jeremiah spoke about it, uh, the deceitfulness and the wickedness of the, of the human heart. And so Johanan, the son of uh, Korea, all the captains of the forces and all the people would not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. We're not going to do it. But Johanan and all of the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to dwell in the land of Judah from all of the nations where they had been driven during the, uh, the siege and the conquest of Judah, the men, the women, the children, the king's daughters, and every person whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the prophet, and Baruch, uh, the son of Neriah. So these gentlemen, they're, they're, power, they're powerful warriors, they're soldiers in the uh, Judah's military, and uh, they then take the whole group, and by force they're going to take them now uh, into Egypt, whether they want to or not. And, uh, you know, it, it appears that uh, I think Josephus, in, in his uh, historical handling of all of this, uh, declared that uh, you know, uh, Jeremiah and Baruch were taken uh, by force. We can't really tell exactly from the passage. Maybe they just said, listen, this is a bad scene, but we're called to be a prophet to these people. Let's write it out and, uh, and follow them in and be an influence and a voice for God uh, in, in all of it. And so they went into the land uh, of Egypt contrary to God's command, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they went as far uh, as uh, Taphanes. And so Taphanes was a military uh, city within Egypt, very, very close to the border uh, with Israel, and so they made their way uh, there uh, into uh, the land. And so uh, here they uh, decide that they're going to fix their problem by a change of location. Uh, there was an old saying, the first time I ever heard it was uh, somehow related to the Grateful Dead, uh, some sticker that they had. I was never into the Grateful Dead, uh, though I liked Bill Walton, and he was. But um, uh, so I never got it. I, didn't, I just didn't get what they were about. I was into other things musically. But they, they did have a sticker, and the sticker said, uh, wherever you go, there you are. It's deeply profound, um, and probably very profound at a Grateful Dead concert, as stoned as everybody uh, typically was at those things. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is that wherever we go, there we are. And, and so often we think that uh, what I need here in my life is I just need a change of uh, location, a change of geography. I just need to change uh, cities or I need to change uh, marriage or relationships or whatever it might be and that somehow uh, this geographical change is going to fix all of my problems. But the problem with that is wherever you go, there you are. 
when you are your own problem and you are your biggest problem, a change of location, all that accomplishes is you just take you, you, the big problem that you are, into a new location. Without repentance from sin and, and a seriousness about God and, and obeying his word and so forth, there's just this endless cycle. But there is this idea within our minds. You see it all of the time uh, in people that I just, I just need a change of scenery here, and, I, and then everything will change in my life, and not realizing that so often this is the case here, uh, that what needs to change is the person. Then the change of scenery uh, will uh, uh, perhaps be, be fine. And then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah at Taphanes, uh, saying, take large stones uh, in your hand and hide them in the sight of the men of Judah in the clay, uh, in the clay, in the brick courtyard, which is at the entrance to Pharaoh's house at uh, Taphanes. And so, Uh, Jeremiah here, once again, he's kind of given this visual action, this visual aid. And so you picture this very elderly, very skinny man, this prophet of God. And all of a sudden, here they are in the area of uh, of the throne of, of Pharaoh there in that particular city, and he's uh, digging uh, away, you know, the clay and, and so forth, and he's taking large stones and he's embedding them uh, in the clay at the entrance to Pharaoh's uh, palace located there, and there he is, he's huffing and he's puffing, and he's doing all of this work, and all of the remnant of Judah would look and say, it would get their attention, that was the idea of it. What in the world is Jeremiah doing now? What, what is he, he thinking? And of course, uh, then having gotten their attention, he then gives them the word of the Lord related to it. And say to them, verse 10, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will send and bring Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his royal pavilion uh, over them. And so, you think you're getting away from Nebuchadnezzar? You think you're getting away from trouble by going into Egypt? I happen to know uh, that Egypt is the next item on Nebuchadnezzar's uh, menu. And he will come in and he will conquer Egypt, and Nebuchadnezzar himself will set his throne over these very uh, uh, stones that I've put in the area of uh, of, uh, uh, of the king's palace here. So, boy, strong message to them. And when he comes, he shall strike the land of Egypt, and he w- shall deliver to death those who are appointed for death, and to captivity those appointed for captivity, and to the sword those appointed for the sword. And I will kindle a fire uh, in the houses of the gods of Israel. Uh, when Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he will judge these temples. He will destroy the gods of Egypt, and uh, he will burn the these uh, temples, burn the gods, carry them away captive, and he shall uh, array himself uh, with the land of Egypt as a shepherd puts on his garment, and he shall go out from there in peace. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in, and he's going to conquer uh, 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 Egypt, and it's going to be as effortless uh, for him as it is effortless for a shepherd to throw his robe uh, around him. And he shall break uh, the sacred pillars of Beshemesh that are in the land of Egypt, and the houses of the gods of the Egyptians shall burn with fire. And so, he, basically, Jeremiah was saying to them, ladies and gentlemen, 
You have gone uh, from the frying pan into the fire. Uh, you could not have picked a worse place uh, to go, and I warned you uh, not to go there. And we know historically that Nebuchadnezzar ultimately did not only come in and conquer uh, uh, Egypt and make it kind of a tributary or vassal state as a part of its empire, not only once, uh, but twice. And, and so, no safety uh, in Egypt. And here's the warning. Now you've made the decision, this is what's coming in your future, chapter 44. And then the word uh, that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwell in the land of Egypt, who dwell at Migdal, at Taphthanes, at Noph, and in the country of Pathros. And so Jeremiah prophesies to them. This is a little bit uh, later. It's enough time now that we see all of these cities that are named that uh, these Jews spread out into the land of Egypt, into a lot of different cities. Apparently, they've uh, come together here as, um, as, uh, in gathering from all of these cities. There's some kind of a, a, um, a, a, a worship of something where uh, they're all coming together here now, uh, back into this place, and and the worship of, of some god or some idols or something. And so as they come back together, then uh, Jeremiah declares, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have seen all of the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and on all of the cities of Judah. And behold, this day they are a desolation, and no one dwells in them. And here's the reason why. Because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger, and that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they did not know, they nor you nor their fathers. And however, I have sent, you, uh, sent to you all of my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them and saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. And God did say, when it says God sent, sent the prophets uh, early and late, it means God was constantly sending prophets to them day in and day out, uh, morning, noon, and night to warn them uh, of the judgment. God was faithful to warn. And then that awful word that begins, verse 5, uh, in the face of anything God says, but they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness uh, to burn no incense to other gods. And so my fury and uh, my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they are wasted and desolate as it is this day. And now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God uh, of Israel, and the God of hosts is the God of, of the angelic armies, a heavenly angelic host, a military. Why do you commit this great evil against yourself to cut off uh, from you, man and woman, child and infant, out of Judah, leaving none to remain. And so here he, uh, God confronts them, and it's a wonderful application related to us as well. Every time we sin, we, we sin supremely against God. But all sin is to sin against ourselves. It is always to go against our best. And that's why uh, John wrote, and he said, the commandments of God are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. They're life-giving. They're right. Every time we disobey God, we pay a price for that. Spiritually, very often physically, very often uh, mentally, very often emotionally, there's always a price that's paid 
even for those that don't know the Lord and the world, for living contrary to the way that God has called us uh, to live. And so, to disobey God's Word is always to sin against ourselves. Um, probably my favorite devotional, and you know, you walk with the Lord for a few decades, and you know, every year you're looking for a new devotional to read, and because you've kind of read the other, all of them, you know, five, six, seven times in the course of the years. And the one that I always read over and over and over again, year in and year out, is Bill McDonald's uh, devotional, and I highly recommend it to, uh, to anyone uh, to make it a part of your quiet time with the Lord. But uh, the, uh, the, the next one after that, and there might be uh, two or three that are kind of a tie in there, but uh, e. Stanley Jones, a very famous missionary, uh, he wrote, a, uh, he wrote a, a devotional. He wrote several of them, but he wrote one of them called The Way. And I really highly recommend that for anyone looking for a devotional. And one of the things that he drives home in his devotional, he looks at it every kind of way that you can look at it, that this way, the way of the Bible, the Christian way, the way that God has for us, it is the way. It is the way to live. And, and always to go against God's way is to go against the stream, not only of God, but of creation and the price that's paid uh, in doing that. And he's, he's just really fabulous. And he brings this out so effectively. And as we see here, why, as God says, why do you commit this great evil against yourself? And in that you provoke me to wrath, verse 8, with the works of your hands, uh, burning incense to other gods. Now you're doing it in the land of Egypt where you've gone to dwell, uh, that you may cut yourself off and be a curse and reproach among all the nations of the earth. So they didn't just flee off into Egypt and say, we're going to go to Egypt, and, but we're going to be there just for physical safety, but we have no intention of being anything, a, a part uh, of worshiping the idols that they worship. We're going to be true to Jehovah, the true and the living God. No, they went to Egypt, and they gave themselves wholeheartedly uh, to uh, adding to all of their idolatry, now the gods uh, of Egypt. Have you forsaken the wickedness of your fathers, the wickedness of the kings of Judah, the wickedness of their wives, your own wickedness, and the wickedness of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? And he confronts them, again, with that same fact. You have made a change of location. You have gone from Judah, and you've gone into Egypt, but you are the same people. There's no change. And since there is no change, can there be a different end with me as your God? Didn't it end in judgment in Judah? How can it not end in judgment in Egypt? The consequences of sin don't go away simply because I change a, a geographical location. And so God is trying to get through to them. And uh, Jeremiah declares, they have not been humbled uh, to this day, nor have they feared. Uh, they have not walked in my law or in my statutes that I sat, uh, set before you and their fathers. So an absence of humility on their part and uh, an absence of the fear of God. And that's a bad combination to have uh, in our lives. It's always going to lead into compromise and idolatry as it does here. And therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you. Uh-oh. 
for catastrophe and for the cutting off of all Judah. Now, remember, in the book of Deuteronomy and the law of Moses, God raised the children of Israel up because he wanted uh, to make them an example of how he would bless a people who were obedient to him. But he also warned them in Deuteronomy that there would be uh, the consequences of living in disobedience and idolatry and so forth as they have done here, that uh, he would bring judgment against them. There was a curse on that uh, that kind of a life. And so, uh, he, he said, I'm going to set my face against you, and, and, and catastrophe is going to come for the cutting off of Judah. And I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt to dwell there, and they shall be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. You're going to die there. And they will be consumed by the sword and by famine. They shall die from the least to the greatest by the sword and by the famine, and they shall be an oath and a astonishment, a curse, and a reproach. So I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to dwell there shall escape or survive, lest they return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return and dwell. For none shall return except those who escape a remnant. So God says, all right, you, have, you, you left Judah as idolaters. Uh, what happened to you there? I mean, it, you know, what's the old saying in terms of spiritual lessons? If, you, if, we, if we're in a trial and that trial is intended to teach us a lesson and then we fail to learn that lesson, then you have to retake the grade. You have to retake the class until you graduate from the class. And they're not willing to graduate from the class. They still haven't learned their lesson here. And so God says, all right, what I'm going to do is You've gone into Egypt in self-will. I'm going to judge Egypt. You will end up in that judgment. That's another problem with running back into the world as a Christian or a child of God, back into the world when things get hard. If you're ever tempted to do that and think you're going to escape judgment, be sure and read Revelation chapters 6 through 19 about the great tribulation that's going to come on the world. And that doesn't even count the judgment that God can bring upon the nations of the world before all of that happens. Uh, the, and so it's the world's worst uh, thing to do and worst decision uh, to make. And so God says, I'm going to wipe you out, and I'm going to wipe your influence out. And yet a remnant will remain among the Jewish people uh, who will, uh, uh, you know, be within the land. It's fascinating because th th everything gets flipped upside down here in, in this sense. These people who end up in Egypt and in this place, they had it made. All they had to do was just obey God. Uh, they had Gedaliah there and, uh, and all of these houses. They could have lived in a different house every night. That's how many people were displaced uh, by the defeat of, of Judah, by Nebuchadnezzar. All of these crops are in the field, all of the grapevines and the grapes and the figs and, the, and everything that grows so uh, wonderfully there in, in, in Israel, all there for them. And to them as they're in that land, it looks like, man, we've got it made. We hit the lottery, so to speak. And all of those people that were taken captive 
and uh, taken into the Babylonian Empire, boy, those are the poor people. Those are the people that really have it bad, and we've got it good. And, and yet the fact of the matter is, is that the, the people that ended up in captivity and that Babylonian captivity would ultimately be cured of their idolatry. God would bring them from their Babylonian captivity back into the land of Israel to continue his plan through the Jewish people. One of the sad things about this, where they go into Egypt, and it's all about I, me, my, and me worshiping, and whatever I want to do, and so forth, is that the Jewish people here at this point is they've forgotten that there is a plan attached to their lives, and they have a responsibility related to their bloodline. They're doing all of this monkey business when God is still intending to send a Messiah into the world through their bloodline. They are putting into jeopardy what they can't even imagine they're putting into jeopardy with their disobedience. And so God still is going to have Jesus born into the world. All of those prophecies are going to take place. They need to take place. These people don't have the slightest concern over any of that. And God says, all right, I'm going to uh, kind of cut you out as a cancer, even from among the people of Judah, and it will be those that come from, back from Babylon that I will then continue my uh, plan through. And God has a plan for each of our lives. And it's important to be faithful to that plan. And being faithful to that plan can be extraordinarily difficult and very hard. And there's always the temptation to turn away from it and go back to whatever we want to do with our lives or what we would think be, would be easier uh, at, at the moment. But we don't have any idea who God is going to reach through our lives for the rest of our pilgrimage, who he's going to impact. You say it won't be very many people. Yeah, but it may be the next Billy Graham or maybe the next D.L. Moody or carry, or some great missionary, or some great prophet within the body of Christ. And so, what they do here is something that none of us wants to do. Uh, there's a great plan that's attached to every single one uh, of our lives, and we need to prize that uh, and be faithful to that in our time in human history to live for God and, and for the the uh, the making visible this invisible kingdom called the kingdom of God and the expansion of it. And then all of the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods with all of the women who stood by, a great multitude, as Jeremiah speaks this to them, and all of the people who dwelt in the land of Egypt, the Jews there in Pathros, they answered Jeremiah saying, you are so right. How could we get thank you so much for uh, telling us that? Come here, group hug. Let's start all over again. That's not what happened. Uh, and they said, as for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. That's heavy. That's heavy. I don't care what you say, we're not listening to you. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth uh, to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings to her as we have done. We and our fathers, our kings and our princes 
in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, for then we had plenty of food. We were well off, and we saw uh, no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven, the idolatry that they were engaged in in, in Judah before their uh, destruction, when we, uh, since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and and pouring out drink offerings to her, we've lacked everything, and we've been consumed by the sword and by famine. Everything turned around when we stopped worshiping uh, this uh, goddess and these gods. And the women then, they piped up, and they said, and when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we not make cakes for her to worship her and to pour out drink offerings to her? Uh, Did we do it without our husband's permission? And so they said, listen, we're not doing something on our own. Everybody's complicit uh, in this. It is astonishing uh, how the capacity that we have uh, to rewrite uh, any narrative within our minds, uh, to produce a narrative that we can live with or that can somehow justify uh, the life that we want to live. The, The fact that they were in Egypt to begin with was an indication of the fact that they had been judged for their idolatry, uh, the, the fact that they'd been displaced from the land. But here they are talking about the fact that, uh, listen, everything started to go bad for us when Josiah came in and he made us get rid of all of these gods and start to worship uh, the Lord, the complete rewrite within their minds. And then Jeremiah, that's why it's, so, and, and all of us have that capacity uh, for that, for self-deception. And that's why the Word of God is so important. It's the only thing that keeps us from going there. And then Jeremiah spoke to all of the people, uh, the men, the women, and all of the people who had given uh, him that answer, saying, the incense that you burned in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings, and your princes, and the people of the land, uh, did not the Lord remember them, and did it not come to his mind? Wasn't it your idolatry that, uh, that brought this judgment to begin with? What are you talking about? What kind of a justification have you worked out uh, in your mind for your condition? And so the Lord could no longer bear it uh, because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations which you committed. Therefore, your land is a desolation. It's an astonishment, uh, Judah, a curse, and without an inhabitant as it is uh, to this day. That land, is a, it, the condition that it's in is a testimony uh, to uh, the folly of your idolatry and that you were judged for your idolatry and for your wickedness because you have burned incense and because you have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord uh, or walked in his law, in his statutes, or in his testimonies. Therefore, uh, this calamity has happened to you uh, as at this day. And so Jeremiah comes in and he, he's... This is a tough crowd. And, and he comes in and he says, I'm not going to let you get away with that uh, revisionist history that you're doing here. I'm not going to let you self-deceive yourself. This is the real thing that happened in the situation that you were in. This is why you are uh, in the condition that you're in. Uh, you know, you can get a lot of trouble telling people. I, I'm at a place now, I'm an old man, uh, or approaching it. Uh, but uh, I generally only tell people, uh, you, you know, what I really think if they ask me. So if somebody comes up and says, uh, Pastor, would you, how do you see this? 
Or what would you do here? Well, at your invitation, I'll be happy to tell you. This is how I would see it. Or how would you see me in this kind of a deal? And the, the heat you can take for simply uh, telling people the truth. I remember, uh, well, I may not let's see. I have to work through this uh, thought here. Uh, no, I can't go there. Uh, complications, complications, danger, danger. Uh, but uh, there are people who, who, who will not talk to me to this day because of a time they came and said, how do you see this? What is here and all? How do you see what I've done here in this situation? And then you say, well, they've asked here, so I'll tell them, and that is it. And uh, even among God's people, and I'm talking about God's people, I'm not talking about uh, pagans, and I use the term uh, in, with endearment. And, and so here he steps up and he, he speaks to them clearly here on, on all of this. And it takes love to do that. Self-preservation would say, uh, forget it, I'm done with this. And moreover, Jeremiah said to all of the people and to all of the women, uh, hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, you and your wives have spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, we will surely keep our vows that we have made to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings to her. You will surely perform your, uh, you will keep your vows and perform your vows. Jeremiah says, I have no doubt you will, uh, are fully committed to what you've said you're going to do and continuing in your uh, idolatry. Therefore, the word of the Lord, uh, hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name. And if you ever hear God say something to you in the middle of the night, uh, Damien, I have sworn by my great name. Uh, he should have our attention. Uh, you always swear by the name of the one who is greater than you. And God, there is none greater than God, so he swears by his own name. If God just says something as a casual aside, it's got our attention. But when he swears in this way, the intention is, man, if you've got any sense at all left, if you've got any spiritual life uh, left you in it, uh, at all, children of, of Judah, any fear of God remotely present within you, uh, then listen up when, when a, a prophecy is prefaced in this way. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no long more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah in all of the land of Egypt, saying, the Lord God lives. God says, that's it. I'm not going to put up with your hypocrisy. I'm not going to have you offering these cakes to this uh, moon goddess and all of these other idols in Egypt, and then out of the other side of your mouth, you're saying, praise the Lord, and saying uh, Jehovah, and talking about, you can't have it both ways. And so he steps in, and he says, I'm going to put an end to this hypocrisy. It's bad advertising for God. It's bad advertising for the Bible. It's bad advertising uh, for Christianity or for Judaism in the Old Testament. When someone is engaged in the idolatry and disobedience like they are, and we're engaged, and yet talked about God and the God of the Bible as if they also knew him and worshiped him. It confuses people. It confuses people in their search for God when they see Christians like that. And so God says, I'm going to put an end to it. And by this judgment, this destruction, uh, they would die in, in that, and there would no more be this kind of uh, this hypocrisy or this, uh, you, know, um, uh, you know, the serving of multiple.
multiple gods and, and, and so forth here. And, and he says, I'm not going to have you people using my name any longer. It is a privilege to speak the name of God. It is, a, it is a privilege to identify him as my God. It is a privilege to communicate and to say that I love him and I worship him. It's a privilege to speak that to the world. And there's a responsibility with that privilege to then live a life that is consistent with someone uh, who, a life that's consistent with someone who would say that without hypocrisy, truly say it. And, and, and so the Lord says, these words, all of this religious mumbo-jumbo in this language, it's just language for you uh, now. There's nothing of it in your heart. And God said, if I can't bring it to an end, this idolatry and this uh, dual worship of other gods and, and myself through what happened in Judah, then I will judge you in Egypt and bring an end to it. And behold, I will watch over them for adversity and not for good. And all of the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end to them. Yet a small number shall escape the sword and shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah and all the remnant of Judah who have gone uh, to the land of Egypt to dwell there shall know whose word shall stand, mine or theirs. You call me a false prophet? then just hold on. Time is always a friend to a true prophet and to a child of God because the prophecy of the, of, of the true prophet will always come to pass. And so Jeremiah says, listen, you've got your prophecies. You've got what you want to believe. You want to call me a false prophet. And, and uh, uh, time is going to, to tell whether what you believe is true or what I've told you is true. And, and so it, it happened as Nebuchadnezzar conquered Egypt uh, twice uh, following these prophecies. And this shall be a sign to you, says the Lord, that I will punish you in this place, that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for adversity. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will give Pharaoh uh, Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies and into the hand of those who seek his life. Speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, as I gave Zedekiah, the king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, his enemy who sought his life. And so we stop there uh, this evening. And actually, this is the end of a major portion uh, of the book of Jeremiah. And it constitutes the end of Jeremiah's prophetic ministry. As we head into chapter 45 and on, it's a completely different thing that he deals with. They are his prophecies, but in terms of, you know, any semblance of a chronology that's going on, these are the final words of Jeremiah uh, to the people uh, of Judah that we have uh, recorded for us here. Let me say just one final thing before we leave the passage here this morning. I um, you know, we live in this, uh, this world that uh, is just determined to, uh, to convince all of us that there's no difference between uh, men and women, uh, except uh, physiologically. 
uh, that you know, we're basically all equally qualified for everything in terms of uh, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and so forth. And, and it's a sad thing to kind of be, uh, have to spend some portion of our life in this period of delusion in the United States of America and the Western world. Uh, God says, male and female, made he them. He knows what he's doing. Uh, uh, God is represented in both uh, man and woman. Both are created in the image of God, but we're different and complementary. It's just nonsense to try and, and meld things the way that they're being melded. But one of the most dangerous things that we see here in chapter 45, and it's always a bad sign when you see it uh, within a culture, and that is uh, when uh, the women uh, cease to be a spiritually stabilizing influence uh, within a culture. And here you have a thing, I mean, men are knuckleheads. We all know that. If you don't know that, then... Uh, enjoy your ignorance. I speak uh, from uh, vast experience with myself, uh, but um, we're God's knuckleheads. And, and so, uh, you know, we, we, we've got our own tendencies and our own, you know, whatever, uh, but there's something about a woman. There's something about her tenderness toward the Lord. It's something about her, uh, the way that she relates to the Lord, the sensitivity that she has towards the Lord and so forth, that once the women within a culture become uh, not only as bad as men in terms of idolatry and sin, but now lead men into that, that's always a civilization or a nation that's on its last legs. And this is an experiment that we see being played out uh, before us, and I'm out of time, so I'm not going to attempt to develop this, except to speak to us, of course, as men, but specifically to women. Uh, be women, and be women of God, and no matter what uh, the men do, whether it's uh, a husband or a father, or whatever it might be, or uh, the male relationships around you, or work, or even within the body of Christ, and so forth, uh, whatever nonsense that we may give ourselves to in the moment, you hold your place within the culture and within the body of Christ. It is so important that you do. And then oftentimes, God, as you kind of anchor things for a while, then God gets through to us and brings us back to where you stood and held down the fort for a while. Uh, but this thing where both of them go down at the same time, a very, very uh, dangerous situation, and a one that we see here today where uh, not speaking, you know, universally, because there's exceptions to all rules and all, but this determination uh, for women now to be like men in every uh, way, in terms, in, including every kind of way of rebellion and debauchery and, and uh, without natural affection in terms of toward the family and, and, uh, and so forth, it is a great mistake, and it doesn't uh, speak well for the future uh, of our nation apart from uh, a, a, a revival of some kind. Let's stand together, and we'll close in prayer. Uh, I, I searched high and low in, uh, uh, in preparing the message here and then also this afternoon and rereading through it again uh, for something perky here some uh, little uh, tidbit that we could pull out and say, all right, all of this is pretty bleak, but let's just focus on this. I couldn't find one. 
I could not find one. I mean, these people went from bad to badder. They went from the bottom to a bottom that they didn't know could exist. And so there isn't much to say except to uh, let's be careful to use it as a warning in our lives and to uh, avoid the the disastrous decisions that, that they made. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this. It is a part of your word, and thus it's important. And we readily acknowledge the capacity in each of our hearts, Lord, uh, for self-deception uh, and eagerness that we can fall into to believe the lies of the world and, and the devil and of our own hearts and, and to go from uh, this example of your blessing, Lord, upon our lives, the thing that you want us to be, each of us, an advertisement for the beauty and the glory of Christianity and being a Christian into this this thing on the other end of the spectrum, and we want no part of it. We pray that you would use our time in these three chapters tonight to just wash away anything that has us trending in that direction, considering it anyway, even the, sm- the slightest thread, Lord, uh, that might already be uh, pulled and, and trying to uh, bind us up related to these things. We declare tonight in the presence of uh, the Holy Spirit, Lord, and in the desire to glorify Jesus, our Savior, we declare to you that this is the way to live as you describe it in your word. And we thank you for the people that you have made us into as we've just walked in the power of your Holy Spirit, obeyed your word. Thank you for the quality of life that is ours. Far from material things, things like peace and satisfaction and joy and meaning in our life. And we just bless you, Lord, for the life that you have called us to. And we pray that you take us by the hand now into this next week and uh, lead us into the next glory of this life. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you stand here this evening,